Welcome to Martha Runs the World, a podcast with a new take on running, fitness, and all things health-oriented. I'm Martha Hughes, your host, and each week I present a new topic that is of interest to all runners. It's one of my favorite things to spend my time reading about and studying right after running and writing. In fact, if I can get my act together enough, next year I'm planning on doing a second podcast about history that's completely unrelated to running. Just thought I'd throw that out there. You'll see. (laughs) If I get it together, I'll let you know. It's just completely if I can do that. (laughs) Right now, I don't know. I get myself out of bed in the morning and I feel happy. Yay, I got up. Yay. So I I don't know. This is if I can do it. Running itself has such an incredible history. I've done several podcast episodes about running history, about running shoes, about several runners who were remarkable. And this week's episode is about another remarkable runner in history. I mean, there are so many pioneers, it's hard to choose one. So I'll try to do each episode about a runner that I find is truly, truly remarkable. Elizabeth Robinson, better known as Betty, won her first gold medal, she won two, in 1928 at the Amsterdam Olympics in the 100-meter distance. But her history is so incredible, it sounds like fiction. It's just amazing what she accomplished. Harry and Elizabeth Robinson had settled in into Riverdale, Illinois, outside of Chicago. Harry immigrated to the U.S. from Ireland in 1888. The Robinsons had three daughters, Jeanette, better known as Jean, Evelyn, and Elizabeth, who they called Betty. The 1920s were good years for the Robinsons. Harry worked for a local bank in Riverdale, and Jean had grown and lived upstairs from the family with her new husband. Betty had learned to play the guitar, which she loved. She was very outdoorsy as well, and she loved playing with her nephews. In high school, Betty was a typical kid in the suburbs. She took the train to school every day, and one day she nearly missed that train, so she had to run to catch it. Her biology teacher, Charles Price, happened to be on that train, and he saw her run. He was astonished that she ran fast enough to make the train. He thought for sure she was going to miss it. He asked if she could take time out of her day and do a timed run in the school hallway the next day for him. So he got a couple of the members of the boys' track team to help him out, and they did a timing with her. And she now she only had the regular tennis shoes. They didn't have running shoes back then for girls. So uh, they also called them Keds. She had a regular Keds or tennis shoes on, and she did a 50-yard dash in the hallway, not outside, but in the hallway of the high school, and they timed it, and she clocked in at 6.2 seconds. That's remarkable. (laughs) You know how fast that is? That's really, really fast. Betty then started training with the boys' high school track team because there was no girls' track team. Even though the girls had requested one for a long time, they still didn't have it. It took a long time for the schools to develop girls' sports. When I went to high school, 
it took a long time for the high school to develop school sports. And we didn't have a girls, a race swimming team for a while. I, I joined in one of the first years that they had a racing team. Sure, they had synchronized swimming for the girls, but I wasn't interested in that at all. And they finally did get a, a girls racing swim team. But yeah, it, it took a while. It takes a while sometimes. Things move slowly. They don't move quickly sometimes. She didn't know anything about racing, so she had to learn from the very start. She didn't know that there were um regular shoes, racing shoes. She had always just run in her tennis shoes. She just ran for fun or to chase a train that she was late for. She chased her nephews around the yards playing with them. She didn't realize that there was a, a technique and there were certain things that you had to do and it was very, and it was strict and there were certain methods that you had to use to run. So she had to learn right from the beginning. Now, Charles Price was also, he was, sure, he was the biology teacher, but he was also a coach for a couple of the sports teams on the high school. The track team was one of them. And he had a knack for discovering and developing unknown talent. He was really good at it, and he found a talent in Betty. He knew she was a really good talent that he had to develop. Even though Betty was inexperienced with racing, Price still entered her into a local track meet held by the Institute Banking Society. I don't know what banking was doing with racing, but okay. It was to be the precursor to the Olympic tryouts in New Jersey. Now, after she had a really good showing in that race, she got an invitation from the Illinois Women's Athletic Club and accepted it right away. How exciting is that? In this race, she finished second to the favorite Helen Filkey, who was the top runner of that era. Helen was the best, and she came in second. Out of nowhere, this wonder kid came in second. And they're saying, who is this Betty? Who is this Betty Robinson? She's incredible. Then she was soon off to the Olympic trials in New Jersey. And coming in, one of the top runners she was then off to the 1928 Olympics in Amsterdam. Now, we know that she won the gold for the 100 meters in that race. Let's talk about the women's events in the Olympics. The first women athletes in the Olympics were in the 1900 Paris Games, and they were in tennis and golf. And here's the thing. The only upper-class ladies who read poetry and the lives of leisure were in those Paris games. They were not there because they were so athletic, except that they were upper-class, and it was seen as a social perk to be in the Olympics. So it was more like, oh, Muffy, Muffy, shall we do be in the Olympics? Yes, that kind of thing. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was like that. So it wasn't seen as like who is the greatest athlete, who is the best at the sport. Your social status went up if you were in the Olympics. Swimming was added in the Stockton 1912 games. So it took a while for running to be added. It took over a decade for them to add running. French Alice Millier lobby the IOC, which is the International Olympic Committee, to allow women's track and field. 
Now, by this time in the 1920s, there was women's golf, tennis, swimming, and archery. So why not running? Well, the organizers, all men, obviously, were afraid it would bring about unattractive physical traits. Huh? And possibly lesbianism. Yes, they believed that. Of course, it wasn't much past the days of leeching people to help them get well, right? They also believed it might turn them into men. <gasps> Egads! They might become men. Oh, no! Yeah, they really believed that. They really did. This is just, I know it sounds silly to us now, but this is what they believed. So Millier, and I hope I pronounced her name properly, helped set up the separate Women's Olympics in 1921. And it took off like a rocket. It was popular from the very start. They had all their own events. They had their own venues, their own dates. And it was gaining popularity so quickly that the IOC was worried, as they should be, or should have been, I should say. They they were so worried that they caved in and allowed women into the track and field events in 1928 Amsterdam Games. So there you go. They were so worried about the competition that they caved in like a wet piece of paper. For the Olympians, traveling to Europe for the Olympics was really difficult. Of course, there was no f flight back then. They didn't really have commercial airfare, air so they had to take ships. And it was slow. It took nine days to get to Europe. The Americans traveled over there on the on the steamship, the SS President Roosevelt, or the ocean liner, I should say. It was filled with, what, 300 Olympians coming from the U.S. And they was filled with lots of food, so they ate probably more than they should have. They weren't on a healthy diet. It wasn't like back then they said you have to eat this and you have to you have to only eat carbs or you have to only eat protein or whatever. They ate tons of ice cream and tons of pastry and tons of protein and lots and lots of stuff that they probably shouldn't have eaten. And who was in charge of the ship was General Douglas MacArthur. So you know this was pre-World War II. <laughs> yes, it was. But they still had to stay in some kind of good condition. So they would run around the ship. They would run around the top deck of the ship. And if it was bad weather in the top deck, they would run around the below decks so of the floors of the ship. Every hour you would see people running around the top, especially the track and field athletes. They had to run around. They had to stay active. They had to stay in some kind of condition. Betty was only 16 years old on this trip, and she did not overeat like many of her fellow athletes. She realized that she had to stay in decent shape to run. This was her saving grace. Remember that when we get later on. She was very smart, even at 16. How many 16-year-olds would have that common sense, that good sense? How many these days would have that good sense? Now, it was at these Olympics that soon-to-be Hollywood superstar Johnny Weissmuller broke several records in swimming. Now, if you think, hmm, that name sounds familiar, well, he went on to become a big star in Hollywood by playing Tarzan in the movies. Yeah, he was that guy. 
He was very muscular, chiseled frame, and he started his career breaking women's hearts too. Oh yeah, many of the women athletes on that ship went crazy for him, and he he, he loved the attention. He probably had a lot more going on in that ship, but who knows? Who we'll have to read a book about his, a biography about Weissmuller's to find that out. We'll be right back. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG. And we're the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. Her first Olympic event was the 100-meter sprint. That was her very first event, and she won gold. She won gold, and she won the event when the rest of the track and field American team was not able to. Could that be because she was frugal about what she ate? She was careful. She stayed in condition by running. She thought about things. She planned it out and was careful. Probably, I think. I think that had a lot to do with it. Who knows? This is what the Associated Press said after her victory. Where the American men had been failing dismally, Miss Robinson, the only Yankee to reach the women's sprint final, ran a, ran a beautiful race to beat two Canadians and a German rival. Bobbed hair flying to the breezes, the Chicago girls sped down the straightaway, flashing a great closing spirit to best the Canadian favorite, Fanny Rosenfeld, by two feet. And how sweet is that victory? How wonderful is that? Betty was then a hero to little girls all over America. And she wasn't much older than they were. They realized that they, too, could run if they wanted to. They didn't have to be dainty little things if they didn't want to be. They could run. This was so powerful. What a powerful, strong message. They could be athletes. Women, little girls, could be athletic. It was okay. And when Betty arrived home, the city of Chicago held a parade for her. And all the kids were let out of school, and they went to enjoy the parade. What a sight that must have been. Just a remarkable thing that she was the hero of Chicago and just how how great, how great for her and how great for the city and how great for the country. Now, fast forward a couple of years, she's training, she's working hard for the next Olympics. And in 1931, just the depression had hit the U.S. and things are not going as great for everyone. It's, the depression is taking its toll. Millions are out of work. Betty continues to train, but it was summer now, and summers in Illinois and Chicago are dreadful. It's hot. It's sweltering. It's humid. I don't know about you, but I do not like hot, humid heat. I don't mind dry. I can deal with dry heat. That doesn't bother me. 
as much anyway. That doesn't bother me as much, but that humidity, oh, you, it just, you can't breathe. So she was exhausted. She wanted to take a break. She wanted to swim, but her coach said she couldn't swim because that develops muscles that won't help her in her running. So she couldn't swim. So what was she going to do to get some relief from the exhaustive humidity? Well, she loved to fly, especially with her cousin, Will. And she had been learning to fly these small planes with him. Will knew how to fly, and he and his family had a bunch of small planes. And so Will decided to take this biplane up with her, even though that morning that same biplane had been acting up. It hadn't been working right, and there had been some questions about it. But he he decided... They figured that it was okay to take up for for one flight, even though it had been acting up earlier. No, things were different back then. <laughs> They're not like they are now. So they took the flight up, and they didn't. So they would forget about their worries of the day, and they took it high enough to get some cool air. And they took they they soared higher and faster, and dropped and did some loop de loops and did some um, some trick maneuvers. And soared and and looked down at the at the farmland and the factories below, and just had a great time. They enjoyed the flying, and both of them felt so free up there in the air. It was just a beautiful, peaceful time. When suddenly there was a jolt, and then everything stopped, and then all of a sudden the plane started steep started a steep decline and started going to diving towards towards the ground and the earth was coming faster and faster and faster and then all of a sudden crash it hit the ground the local police station received a call that a plane accident just happened Betty and Will were taken to two different hospitals. Yes, they were both alive, but they were in very bad shape. Neither of the small hospitals could handle both of them at once, so they went. that's why they went to two different ones. They were alive. Her doctor told the press if she lived, Betty's chances of running were less than slim because one leg was likely to be shorter than the other. Even walking might not happen, he said. Her left arm was also mangled, and her right arm was bad, though not as bad as the left. And Will was in bad shape, too. He might lose a leg, his jaw and nose were broken, and he had a skull fracture. So they were just in awful, awful shape. Betty was in the hospital for a long time. When she returned to to Riverdale, she found that recuperation was slow. Now, at times, it was just difficult to get out of bed. Her brother's husband, her brother-in-law, Jim Roachford, I hope I said that right, or Roachford, turned out to be one of her greatest supporters and motivators. Sometimes, she even would dread seeing him because she knew how persistent he would be. He wanted her to just try. Every day he would see her, and every day he would he would get her out of bed. 
Her bedroom was on the second floor, and sometimes it was too painful to walk down the stairs, so he would carry her down the stairs. He wouldn't let her stay in bed. He wouldn't let her feel sorry for herself, and he wouldn't let her try to play the pity party. You know how we all play the pity party, the PPP, personal pity party. I have done that on occasion, but only on occasion. You can't do that very often because then it comes a bad habit. We cannot do the PPP very often. Once in a while, it's okay, but not that often. He would walk with her. He would take her across the street to a park. He would walk with her, and he would time her walks. He wanted her to go faster every time and maybe a little longer. Okay, that was nice today. Tomorrow, you're going to go a little longer and maybe a little faster. And he would time them. And every day they went out, and he would not let her give up. He was persistent, and she knew he was persistent. Some days it wasn't in her, and she didn't want to do it. But that didn't stop him. He kept going. He kept pushing her. He never gave up. No matter how much she wanted to give up, he never gave up. And it was during this time in her life that she realized that that first Olympic gold medal she had won had come so easily. She didn't even have to work hard for it. She, there was, it was like a breeze, but this learning to walk all over again, learning to get her legs so that they weren't, so that one leg wasn't shorter than the other so that she could walk so that they felt equal. This was hard work. This was where she had to put all her effort into it, into it. Not that first gold medal. This was really, really hard. And she came to another conclusion. She decided she would not let time slip away, that she would work as hard as she could to get back to the Olympics. Now, she wasn't ready for the 1932 LA Olympic Games. She was still in rehabilitation. She set her sights for the 1936 Berlin Games. Ah, the 1936 Games in Berlin, Germany. Let's talk about controversy, shall we? <laughs> I'm going to do a whole episode on Jesse Owens and the 1936 Games, so I'm not going to get in all the details here, but except that this was the games that Hitler looked over. So, yeah, those games. <laughs> so, there was a lot going on in that games. There was a lot of segregation of the black players. There was a lot of, of not wanting the Jewish players there. There was a lot of really, really icky stuff going on in those games. Like I said, there's a lot there, and I'm not going to get into it in this episode. But I will talk about that in, in the Jesse Owens episode that I'll do in the future. Because of her bad leg, Betty could no longer get into the mandatory sprinter crouching position. She tried. She really worked on that a lot. She wanted to do the 100-yard dash again. She really wanted to, but she couldn't get into that that, you know, that crouch that the sprinters get into right at the start. She couldn't do that. So she decided to do the relay team, the 100 times four relay or four times 100 meter relay team. She could do that. She could be part of that. And she tried really hard to find a good team. It was, it was hard to get into the, uh, 
find a team that was good enough to get into the Olympics, though. And every time she got into a team that didn't make the cut, they would blame her. They would say, oh, yeah, she she's the one that kept us out. And that, of course, wasn't true, but they used her as the excuse. And I could see why. Yeah, sure, the cripple. Yeah, the one, the one that got the accident, the one that isn't right. She isn't, she isn't the right one. She's the reason why we lost. And it's not fair, obviously, and not true. But that's what happened. Until finally she got into a team that won. And now she almost didn't go too because the Berlin games were nearly boycotted. And I'm really happy that they weren't because it gave the world and history a chance to see how bad the Nazis were. And again, I'll get into details over that in my Jesse Owens episode. On a warm August 9th, day it was so humid it was hard for the runners to get prepared because that kind of day you go outside and you're drenched betty robinson harriet bland annette rogers and helen stevens won the women's four by 100 meter women's relay race over the heavily favored german women's team and that i would love to have seen Hitler's very unhappy scowl. <laughs> what a great moment in history. What a great victory for America and freedom and the West. Yay! Betty was inducted to the Olympic Hall of Fame in 1977. She lived a great life, and I think she retired in Colorado. But she was hardly the only female pioneer runner there was at the time. There were others. She was the first Olympic medal winner, true, but others were right there with her. Some ha some had nearly as much fame as she, as she did, and some the fame never arrived as it should have. Mildred Ella Diedrichsen, better known as Babe Diedrichsen, was born in Texas and loved running from an early age. She competed in some of the same early races as Betty did, but unfortunately, due to the strict barring of professional athletes, she was banned from the Olympics because she took money and gifts for trade from an advertiser, unfortunately, and a sponsor, and never got the chance to compete in the Olympics. She also had some concerning racial beliefs that might have taken away from her status as a hero figure later on. Now, a lot of the information that I have here came from a book that I strongly I encourage you to read about the courageous women of this era. It's called Fire on the Track, and it's written by Roseanne Montillo. It's a wonderful book, and I cannot recommend it enough. I bought it and took it on my camping trip, and it was perfect to read in the woods. Just this glorious history about the first women who were so strong and so brave and and just created this wonderful, wonderful history of women's running. All right, so that is Betty Robinson, and what what a true, true pioneer. All right, now, uh, let's see. It is less than three weeks to my surgery. I'm getting prepared. I had to get some a blood test this morning that my primary care wanted, so I had I couldn't eat or drink coffee. So I had that when I first came home. It was like, oh my god, I have I have to have this. <laughs> So we'll see. But yeah, everything's coming together nicely. I cannot wait. I've got, I've got, I, 
the the timer clicking off from when I can start running again. I, I already have races all lined up that I want to do. So yeah, it'll happen. I hope you are doing well. I hope everything's great with you. All the information for today's episode is on the website, MarthaRunsTheWorld.com. And if you want to email me, it's MarthaRunsTheWorld at gmail.com. And thank you so much for listening. And until next week, let's tie up your shoelaces and go for a run. <laughs>